This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. It's time for bookings. Kia ora, welcome to Bookends with Ruth Todd and Moran Rath. And today, Ruth, I'm talking with a local poet who has won a prestigious prize, Rose Collins, with her first collection of poetry. And I've got uh, Ruth Shaw, who's written the bookseller at the world, end of the world. And she lives in Manapori. And a lot of people, well, some people will have heard her at the Word Festival. But she's already on her next book, and it just sounds idyllic. And she's so, you know, friendly with everybody, and everybody comes in in these tiny little bookshops. A rich, immersive, funny, and heartbreaking memoir by Ruth Shaw, a charming Kiwi bookseller who runs three tiny bookshops in the remote village of Manapuri in Fieldland in the deep south of New Zealand. Welcome to the programme, Ruth. Thank you very much, Ruth. I really appreciate your time. Well, I do too, but yours, because it's just a gem of a book in the bookshop at the end of the world. You um, weave together the stories of the characters who visit your bookshops, and three of them, and musing about your favourite books and bittersweet stories from your very full and varied life. And I hadn't realised what an adventurous life you had. You, you um, travelled so much. You uh, sailed extensively through the Pacific and the South China Sea. You were held up by pirates and you worked in Sydney's King's Cross with drug addicts and prostitutes. You campaigned on numerous environmental issues and you owned and operated the yacht Break Sea Girl with your husband Lance. You dedicated the book uh, to your mother. So um, they were the sort of loves of your life, weren't they? They definitely were. Um, My father was the love of my life too, but it was my mother who bore most of the dramas and the fallout from all the dramas in my young life, and she was very precious to me. I liked the way you wrote the book. Um, You mentioned the pain of two terrible experiences and the joy and the balance in your writing. You know, we've got the delightful chapter about the bookseller and then we've got a story of um, you were escaping a lot of the time, weren't you, in your life? You always seemed to be, you didn't dwell on anything for too long. You, Where am I going to go now? Yes, I think, um, and I think there's women and men in their teenage years and early 20s that have some kind of trauma in their life and a way they can deal with that is to keep on moving on so that they haven't got time to think about it or to try and analyse what has actually happened and what the fallout is. I especially enjoyed the um, part in, when you were in Naseby, uh, when you were living in Naseby, because um, I know that area well, and I love the story of the... Um, well, it was 1860, wasn't it, when the Chinese gold digger... Um, was um, digging the graves and um, uh, and the grave digger had to um, m- make sure he had enough 
um, spaces, uh, dug so many holes before the winter. <laughs> the winter. Yes. <laughs> yes, I've never been there in winter, but I imagine. Um, and, and he did that and hoped that would be the right number. <laughs> yes, he did that every year, but it was much colder then. It'd be interesting to know if it freezes over now. Mm. Yes. But I, I wrote a short story called o- Old Bones and Snowdrops because the old watchmaker that I wrote about, he kept on telling my father there is he always wanted to be in fresh ground. And unfortunately, the grave digger kept on digging and he couldn't find any fresh ground, which was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> there was always bones or something down there. I'm not going to um, give any detail about the sadness you've had because I think people need to read that in the book. And um, it was pretty hard times you had for so many years. And um, But you're so happy now, aren't you? I'm very happy now. Mm. And um, I think I've been very, very lucky because... I never, ever thought that I would meet up with Lance again, and I'm not going to say much about that because that is the love story of the book. And I I can't believe that I've ended up in a true home in Home Street. You know, that, that yes. is, <laughs> I can't believe you haven't moved again, but you can't now with all those bookshops. You're no, of course busy. I can't, no. <laughs> so when did the, the idea of the bookshop, was it after Lance died or after your mother died? Um, when did they? No, um, it was the first. My first bookshop, Forty Five South and Below, just kind of morphed itself from our business when we were running the charter boat on the coast, the Breaksea Girl. And a lot of your listeners might know about that because we had so many New Zealanders come down. And so that was called Forty Five South and Below. And then when we sold the business, I had to close the bookshop. Well, I didn't have to, but I did. And I just missed it so much. I missed the books and I missed the people. And there's an absolute um, joy in running a bookshop. The people that come in, everyone has got a story or they're suggesting books to read. It's just a really, really amazing experience being a bookseller. So that's why I built, had the first bookshop built and then, of course, that got, busy and then the second one and then the third one yes <laughs> <laughs> well I know Man and Pori very well too and I've been out on Doubtful Sound several times and uh, it's such a busy place isn't it with all the tourists and other New, Ze- and New Zealanders who haven't been there before and uh, they don't all go to Tiana to do Milford Sound it's it's wonderful, diff, quite a different experience on Doubtful. So you, you're is. having people coming now, especially once COVID's over, we hope. Um, you know, you, you'll be getting busy again. Well, I actually opened last weekend, and it was an extremely busy weekend. And I've been overwhelmed by the response of my book. I... I was naive in thinking that I'd write a book and uh, the publishers would sell it and say thank you very much. But it's just gone on and on and I've received so many letters, emails, telephone calls, a lot from people that have been through similar traumas as myself and it has been an extremely rewarding experience really. 
I'm not surprised because it's a timeless book, really, um, of a woman, young woman's experiences, and um, then always, always looking ahead and always quite fearless when in your decisions, weren't you? You you took so many um, very honest decisions and moved on so much, but. Uh, I hope you're going to stay with these three wonderful books. So the first, the first book, the first bookshop, because they're tiny. Um, tell me about that one. Well, that one has got um, everything forty-five south and below, including Maori natural history, subantarctic, Antarctic, and uh, I specialise a lot in, of course, Fiordland, but also botany and geology so it's quite a specialist bookshop and I've got four shelves of holiday books and the money from those go to the Blind Society which is great and um, I just kind of had no room so that's why and then I had lots of children coming so that's why then I built had the children's bookshop built which is exceptionally busy over the holidays I'm sure and uh, I just visualise the children sitting outside because there's not much room in the shop uh, <laughs> and looking at picture books and children's books. Where do you source all these books from? Well, for the children's books, I've got a wonderful sister, Jill, who used to be the manager of a, um, a crash. And so she knows books, children's books really, really well. And um I've written about her in my book because she is amazing at finding really lovely books for children. And I've also got a friend here in Manapuri, Vicky, who runs a second-hand shop here in Manapuri, incredibly, and she's always out scouting around and she knows what I need as well. So I'm very lucky. And I have to have um, a lot of backup stock because when I'm busy being such a small shop, the shelves look empty very quickly. <laughs> right. And so the third one? The third one I built because of farmers, really. I had uh, farmers come and if they were smelt of cows or sheep or silage, they would say, oh, we won't come in, Ruth, because, you know, we smell. <laughs> and so I thought, well, I could build a little shop for them, a little bookshop for them and have a seat out the side undercover so they could sit there and, and you know, check out the books. So it was kind of a man's bookshop, hunting, fishing, tractors, trains, farming, dog trialling. And um, then the woman, the wives started going there. So it, it's an everybody's bookshop, but it's mainly male-orientated books which is really great. And, and more so non... It's called, sorry. It's called The Snug. The Snug. And m more non-fiction, I imagine. Yes. Mm. You say that um, there's a book for every person, and you seem to, uh, in the stories you've told, it's quite delightful. You, you know, someone came in from overseas and was looking for a really rare book, and there you had it. <laughs> And you only charged him $10. $10. It was probably worth 100 
I thought that was a lovely story. And um, the tractors, um, I read that book a long time ago, and that was a delightful story. Isn't it a wonderful story? Yes, yeah. yes. And um, just um, on and on it goes. So you, are you going to, do you have anyone to help you when you get so busy? Well, I've actually got um, a lovely lady that comes in once a week now because I've had to have a, a Facebook page, which I've been trying not to have. I'm not definitely not going to have a website because I don't have enough books. But Lance is my backstay. He, um, he's really great in the bookshop, and the woman seemed to to like him which is great <laughs> and he makes them tea and coffee and he's getting better at selling books but he promotes my book in such a way it's rather embarrassing but he's just so proud of it and he always grabs one and says uh, my wife wrote this book you really must buy a copy and I just kind of disappear in the background <laughs> very good that's oh that's wonderful so the bookseller at the end of the world is for all book lovers and uh, and for people who don't read a lot. The, the story of your life is um, a very um, passionate one and told so beautifully. So Ruth Shaw has written the bookseller at the end of the world and if you go to Manapuri, you will certainly find her there and uh, it's published by Alan and Unwin. Thanks very much, um, Thank you very, very much, Ruth. You're listening to Bookends on Plains FM 96.9. My thoughts are all of swimming. The tide is a thing that moves, lean and sometimes hungry, for sand, silt or grit. The foam and the form of it, and you mirrored there against the hills. Your hands under me as I hang on the rippled hide of water. Dear life, it won't be long now until I'm back in the sea. That was Rose Collins reading the title poem from her first collection of poetry, My Thoughts Are All of Swimming. This collection won her the 2022 John O'Connor Award, which meant that the collection has just been published. Rose has also been shortlisted for the UK Bear Fiction Prize, the Bridport Prize and the Takahe Monica Taylor Poetry Prize. She's a lawyer, a beekeeper, a mother, and she lives in Te Whakaraupo, which is exactly where I live and swimming is a great love of mine. And I have to say that Rose is somebody who I've watched develop um, from a young child to the budding, a budding poet and now a fully accomplished poet. So well done for winning this prize, Rose. Thank you. It's a great thrill. It was a very exciting moment. In fact, I lost my, um, <laughs> I lost myself completely when I heard the news. I was at home um, cooking dinner with Pete and I got a, a message from Joanna Preston to say that um, Elizabeth Smither had made her decision and I'd won the prize and I just couldn't stop crying. <laughs> I think Pete thought I'd had terrible news, but it was just... Um, joy. Joy, total joy. Total yeah. joy, and so it should be. Elizabeth Smither, is, as we know, is you know such a, a fantastic poet herself and such a 
a, you know, astute judge. So to be singled out by her is high praise. Absolutely. I love Elizabeth's work and um, her collection, Night Horse, is actually a real touchstone book of poems for me. So I was just, yeah, beyond thrilled that she judged it and that she read my work. And, <laughs> and then for her to choose my manuscript was, yeah, mind-blowing, really amazing. So let's go back to your beginnings. You have um, Celtic blood, which mm-hmm. has been an essential part of your upbringing. And from that came a love of writing and poetry? I think so. I think there's something about the Celts and probably maybe particularly the Irish that um, storytelling is just so strong. And I was raised by, in large part, by my grandparents who, um, my granny was Irish. My um, grandfather was uh, of sort of um, Yorkshire and Cornish stock and he was a huge storyteller and um, he used to make up stories for us and tailor them to kind of what we were interested in or doing and uh, we had alter egos in these stories who were versions of ourselves who were much braver than us and (laughs) and maybe more adventurous and um, yeah I grew up with those stories so I think I think storytelling and um, and out of that poetry has just been this kind of essential um, compulsive thing of mine that has followed me through. And you spent some time in Dublin yourself doing a Masters in Law. I did, yeah. Um, right in the middle of the Celtic Tiger we were there and I was studying at Trinity, which was a great experience, really amazing. And I think and that city has such a... Um, a strong poetic connection and I yeah, sort of got to explore that a bit when we lived there. Um, at one stage I went and did a little um, what's called a hedge school in, in Galway um, looking at the work of, of Yeats and also kind of almost like a pilgrimage trail I guess walking the the places where he wrote and lived um, Gort where he lived in a tower and Cool Park and that was amazing for me because I think it was a way of sort of locating his work in, in the landscape and starting to understand how much the place that a poet is speaking from can be so, just so vital. And yeah, Yeats was somebody who, who um, composed while walking, so he used to actually literally pace up and down and speak the poem aloud as a way of kind of embodying the rhythm of it. I think that's, um, yeah, that's a great way of doing things and yeah. Well, your sense of place is is so strong in this book because you live still in the place that you were born. Mm. So it's the whole harbour basin and the volcano, the hills around, the the sea. All this is so much part of of your writing. Yeah, I think, I hope it's, I hope you, I know you can pick it up and I hope other people do too, that it's just, it's sort of woven in because I can't... um, (laughs) I can't move, I can't really speak without that landscape being in the in the voice, I guess. And I wanted to open the book with the poem Te Whakaropo because it's, because I, th- I think it's important to locate yourself in a landscape. And for me, that landscape is Littleton Harbour and um, the Port Hills and Governor's Bay. So yeah, and that volcanic landscape, I think for me, that's from childhood that has really ignited my imagination, thinking about the fact that we grew up in, an, in a maybe extinct volcano and yes. um, <laughs> and yeah and seeing the the um, remnants of that kind of everywhere you look in the foreshore and in the rocks and yeah 
the shapes of the hills. So folktale comes into this, which is not surprising mm -hmm. um, because of your background in storytelling and being told stories. So there's, there's elements of, of myth and legend and folktales mm -hmm. in your poetry as well. Yeah, there's um, there's quite a bit of Grimm's fairy tales. If you, I mean, you don't have to look too closely to see them popping up. Um, and there's some Irish stuff, obviously. Yeah, I think um, again, those are things that are just so much a part of of me, my sort of growing up, and um, so they come out. I don't plan much when I'm writing, <laughs> but these things just seem to emerge. And I guess there's some kind of repetitive things that are just innately in there. Mm. I know you can say this about just about every collection of poetry, but this is a very intimate one because you have been undergoing and still undergoing treatment for cancer, and that comes through in the poems. I, You know, you don't explicitly say it, but there's so many references to mm. what it's meant for you. And so I think people would, would start sensing that you were undergoing something pretty, you know, not, I'm not going to say traumatic, but, you know, something very challenging, it's shall we say. Of that for sure, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and poetry, I guess, is, is such a such a wonderful refuge. Absolutely. And, yeah, and I think because of that, um, that thread of sort of wanting to tell stories but not always having to do it in a kind of direct autobiographical way, it's given me this... Um, it's a gift to be able to just um, look at things in a kind of slant wise side on, you know. So, so yeah, there are there are parts of the book where you can sort of directly say this appears to be about that healing journey, but also I think there's just so much of that experience in there, um, obliquely and sort of side on, and um, yeah. And I'm actually, I think uh, this process of writing is so amazing in that it allows you to tell stories that are difficult um, but to not always have to kind of reveal or yeah yeah or be completely yes explicit in about your face it, about it yeah. exactly so yeah. clearly putting a collection together is a really interesting exercise and especially when you are putting it together for a competition so you're looking for threads you're looking for poems speaking to each other. Absolutely, yeah. Tell me a bit about that. Um, it was it was a great thing to do, and I think it's one of the wonderful things about competitions like this is that they kind of give you this chance, a deadline, I need to pull some stuff together if I'm actually going to get this in. And, um, and so I, I started by kind of looking at everything I had that maybe um, could make it in, and I printed everything out, which was really useful. Um, and then I did a lot of sort of shuffling and looking and moving things. And, and I did notice that poems spoke to each other in ways that I hadn't necessarily consciously intended. And um, so it was, yeah, it was about just kind of looking at what was there and then trying to make a sequence of it. Um, and that came together quite intuitively. And it's really interesting for me now to hear people tell me what they're noticing when they read it, because I think, you know, so often those things are unconscious. And um, there are lots of threads that connect the poems, but they are also very... Um, disparate. I mean, there's kind of lots of changes of geographical location. There's moves and shifts in time. Some of the poems talk about historical events. Um, some of them are contemporary, and and yet they do. I, th I hope and I think they do kind of um, coalesce in some sort of 
um, yeah, there's there's themes and things that connect them. I think it would be nice to end with a poem, Rose. Mm -hmm. So what would you like to read us? Um, Well, I was thinking of of reading you the poem that's about um, Ralph Hortetti's Black Phoenix piece, which was exhibited in Christchurch, I think it was a year or two ago. And it would have been, I saw it at a time where I was in the middle of treatment. Um, And to me, I thought that that work really speaks to kind of um, the ability we have as humans to to be resilient and to regenerate. And what he's done in the piece is um, taken an old fishing boat which had caught fire and was basically destroyed and beyond repair, and he used that material to build something new but still speaking to what it had been through. He hasn't sort of sanitised the the wood. You can see the um, scorch marks. So, yeah, to me, looking at that, um, it kind of was a reflection for me about what I'd been through and how we can... Um, rise above, I guess, like a phoenix. Um, So the poem is called Black Phoenix, Ralph Hortetti. You might have laid them down, charred and salt-toughened as a palisade in recline, or a boardwalk lighting the path to the blackened hull. You raise the teeth of your chainsaw, tungsten on smoke, kahinga atu hetetekura, Aramai hitete kura. Carbon on steel. I like to think of you calling in your mates, Sam with his black and decker, Roland on the chisel, a storm-torn afternoon and the chips flying. It's all smoke now, I realise. Walking the crater edge from the hospital to get my coffee, puffed up on radiation and rage, I could use your power tools this morning. And there, out over the harbour, a plume of black, up out of flame, water or ash, lashing the stockade, wings shaking embers, but rising, always rising. Rose Collins's collection of poetry is called My Thoughts Are All of Swimming and it's published by Southern Valley Press. And join us, Moran Rout and Ruth Todd, next Tuesday on Bookends on Plains FM 96.9.